This is Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO, Licensed Insolvency Trustees. The views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of this station. Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO on VOCM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Your Money with Nancy Snedden. I am Nancy Snedden. Thanks so much for tuning in today. On today's show, we're focusing on financial psychology. So when you think about it, money, the word money, how do you feel? Why do you feel this way? We all know that just that one word money is linked to so many reactions, so many emotions. And those reactions and emotions often influence our decisions when it comes to financial matters. There's a lot to discuss on this subject. And joining me now to share his insight and expertise is Sean Maslick. He's a certified financial planner, certified financial behavior specialist, finance writer whose regular column, A Rich Life, can be found on Money Sense. Sean is also the host of the most hated F word podcast. Sean, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So before we get into the discussion, can you share with our listeners more about your background, particularly your role as a certified financial behavior specialist? Yeah, I I entered the personal finance space, the traditional route of becoming a financial planner because I was interested in money and wanted to help people pursue healthy retirement plans. And so I was really focused on the money. But when I started working with clients, I started to see that there was this unspoken influence in people's relationship with money. And that was, as I suggested there, that they even had a relationship with money, which I wasn't aware of. And I noticed it when, say, clients or retired clients would retire, there there seemed to be at times the sense of something's off or they weren't feeling, hey, I did it. I finally made retirement. And it was, it, I was really curious to understand, wait, we waited all our lives to retire, but yet there seems to be something off. And then I noticed in sort of research, understanding that there's so much meaning derived from work. When we retire, we have all this time. Sometimes we don't need to use it. And that really led me down this path to really see that there is a whole large underbelly to money that we look or we call the psychology of money, which is how people think, feel, and behave with money. And so I, I ended up taking a certification, uh, as you mentioned, called the Certified Financial Behavior Specialist, that really is aimed at having deeper conversations beyond the dollars of cents. Is how does money make you feel? What do you feel when you make money? And really understanding what meaning we prescribe to money. And it's fascinating to me because it really helps us uncover why we think, feel, and behave with money. And I just felt, and this is personal, that focusing solely on a retirement plan largely avoided this this large relationship that we have with money. And it's a relationship that we can never divorce, never get rid of it. It's there forever. So that's a little bit behind, or I guess, behind the scenes for me. Yeah, that's great, John. And, you know, there is so much emotion tied to my, it's kind of like a love-hate relationship, right, for some people. Uh, And I see it all the time in my practice when people have debt that they're trying to deal with, like the financial stress, like the emotion of that debt and the sort of, in some cases, shame that people feel, which they should never feel, but do feel oftentimes when they get themselves into financial trouble. So, you know, as I came across your article on, on Money Sense, I really found it interesting. And I thought, you know, this information can really benefit my listeners. So why don't we start there? Why is understanding the psychology behind money so important? Well, I feel like it's so important because it really helps us understand why we think, feel, and do 
what we do with money. And that's the underpinning of psychology is understanding why we think, feel, and what we do. So financial psychology helps us bring awareness to, I'll repeat myself on purpose, why we think, feel, and do what we do with money. And you give that example about shame. And shame, money shame is something that happens far too often where we feel bad. We feel as if we are bad because we can't save or we became in debt where there's so many other complex factors playing at hand um, and without going into too much depth of it, but we've got the systems problem. So the systems, the financial systems, but then the part that I'm really focused on is we're just really unaware that we have this relationship with money, why we feel that shame, where that shame comes from. So understanding our own psychology around money really helps us understand this fundamental idea of why we think, feel, and do what we do with money. And in doing that, I think it helps us bring a sense of ease and potentially peace towards a relationship with money. Yeah, I think that's great. And as part of my research for the show, I came across a lot of different financial personality quizzes, you know, from financial institutions, from various investors groups. And the wording for each of the various financial personalities varied from quiz to quiz. But the bottom line is that it seemed that the so-called personalities come down to being a saver or being a spender. So you write that how we individually think and, and how we feel about spending and saving comes down to financial psychology as we've been talking about and that how we interact with money is often determined by the unconscious beliefs that we hold about it so we've been influenced by social emotional and and cultural factors our whole lives so let's talk more about these social emotional cultural cultural influences and how they influence our behavior or thinking when it comes to financial decisions and, and how we manage our money yeah you know at times we feel like it's so simple to tell someone to stop spending if they're overspending. But here's the thing, Nancy, you, me, and everyone listening today, we are all in some version, our own actors or actresses in our own money stories that are acting out a script, a money script that has been given to us. And to your point, these scripts have been impacted by not only our great grandparents, our grandparents, but also our cultures have our cultures have an influence. Our societies, our communities, all have a hand in writing these scripts. So each culture has a different view or relationship on money. Our our societies do, and as I mentioned, our family lineage has a huge impact on how we think, feel, and behave around money, and. Financial psychologists have coined this term um, money script. Actually, the individual who came up with that term has done years and years of research, and his name is Dr. Brad Klontz. But we all have these money scripts that are influenced by all what I told you, the social, uh, emotional, and cultural influences. And for most of us, what is difficult about understanding or changing our financial behaviors is these scripts are totally unconscious for us. But yet, through the research, what we've seen is these scripts are, are so influential at predicting uh, how we use credit, what our net worth will be, what our income will be, our general financial tendencies, and even our financial health and well-being. So for me, going back to understanding 
how we can uncover these scripts goes to this idea of financial psychology as it helps us bring awareness to the fact that we even have a money script. And there are, there are several, four main money scripts. And one of them, for example, is a money status. So this individual looks at money to bring them status. And if we unpack their history, we might see growing up that maybe a, an individual had to really fight to get attention from their parents or money was used as a sense of bribe for the children. And uh, as parents, I'm a parent of two young kids. I know it's <laughs> raising kids are very difficult. And at times we really, really find it easy to say, hey, I'll buy you this if, if you do this. And I don't want to make anyone sound bad for doing those things because I definitely do them because we are human. However, the point is, is all an accumulation of those experiences really help writing these scripts. And so back to an example, if someone really always had to fight for attention or try to get noticed, they may, and I say may, may fall in this money script of money status, which has outcomes of overspending because people need to or feel like they need to spend to get status, to be recognized and so forth. So that would be an example of a quick example how we can fall into overspending and how it's really hard then to just say to someone, well, you should start saving. Because if we're not aware of these unconscious scripts that are really driving our behaviors, if you think about an iceberg, um, the top part is just our financial behaviors, but the underbelly or the bottom of the iceberg below the water is really where the emotions lie. And until we understand why we're driving these money decisions, I think it, at times it can be very hard to make those changes. And that's why we start to think I'm bad with money or I'm bad and where the shame comes. So I think helping people recognize that, hey, it's okay, you're human, and here's why you take our overspend, for example, can really help people develop that or work towards developing that more peaceful relationship with money where we can make meaningful changes. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and to your point, and I love the analogy of the iceberg, right? The top part of the iceberg is the small, small part, right? It's the underbelly mm-hmm. that is the largest part of that iceberg. So it's a great analogy in showing just how much those sort of emotional and social and, and cultural influences have on the way that we look at money and the habits that we have around money, whether or not we, we actually realize it. So you also talk about in your article that there are behavioral factors that can impact our financial lives. So I'd like to talk about those when we come back. Please stay with us. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money here on VOCM. I'm your host, Nancy Sneddon, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We're talking on the psychology of money today. And joining me for the discussion is Sean Maslick. He's a certified financial planner, certified financial behavior specialist, finance writer whose regular column, A Rich Life, can be found at Money Sense. And Sean is also the host of the Most Hated F Word podcast. So, Sean, we were talking before the break about the social and emotional and and cultural influences that money behaviors have. But you also say that there are many behavioral factors that can impact our financial laws, even when we're not consciously aware of them. So you talk about confirmation bias, loss aversion and overconfidence bias. So what can you tell our listeners about these? Yeah, these are going into the realm of what we call 
behavioral finances. So that's the application of psychology to finances. And it, it, it's beneficial for us just to understand that as humans, we have these biases or cognitive biases, what are mental shortcuts that allow us to make decisions quicker, because as we evolved as a species, we didn't have time to make decisions for everything. While those served us well when we were running away from saber-toothed tigers, at times in our financial decision-making, they can damage our financial health if we're not aware of them. So you brought up confirmation bias. So this is a bias that really plays on the idea that I know I'm right and I'll prove it to you. So confirmation bias occurs when we look for information that confirms our existing beliefs and we tend to ignore um, evidence that challenges them. We think, no, 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 I, I understand this, here's why. And we send a quick Google search in to find what we're trying to actually find. We don't try to seek out the other side of the argument. And this is all happening unconsciously. And so this can lead to what we call the self-fulfilling pro prophecy, and it hinders our ability to grow or to see the other side. To, so to uh, one of the ways to avoid confirmation bias, it's important to actively seek out information and perspectives that challenge our beliefs to make or that help us make informed decisions. The other one you mentioned was loss aversion. Daniel Kahneman, he won the Nobel, Nobel Economics Prize as a psychologist, which is quite interesting, because of his work in around cognitive biases. And one of his big discoveries is this loss aversion. The idea that people are more motivated to avoid losing something than to gain something of the same value. So this can lead to poor financial decisions, such as holding on to losing investments instead of accepting the losses. To make more rational financial decisions, it's important just to be aware that we have this tendency to avoid loss at all costs. And the other one, which I think is really important when it looks at our financial lives, especially in and around investments, is overconfidence bias. Overconfidence bias is the tendency to overestimate our abilities and level of control in a given situation. This can lead to make overconfident decisions, such as investing in high-risk assets like cryptocurrencies, and then we blame external markets if something goes wrong. So the idea here is when things are going well, our overconfidence bias attributes our success to our own internal self. But if something goes wrong, our brain automatically avoids the external factors. And a good example is cryptocurrencies. In 2020, there was a boom in cryptocurrencies. And many people became overly confident. They had their overconfidence bias. And they kept buying more cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin at this time. And people were telling themselves, and I was having these conversations, saying, oh, no, I figured it out. I understand how this goes. And then you fast forward a couple years later, and the market is really uh, not as strong as it once was. And people's overconfidence bias in their own ability now has put their financial health at risk. Yeah, I think it's so important. You know, I've said on this show so many times that knowledge is power and sometimes just recognizing that these unconscious bias exists, right, can help you curb or at least understand um, when you have these thought processes, right, how to correct them or reach out to get help before you're making these decisions based on these biases or unconscious bias. I think that's so, so important. Sean, in your article, you say we can endlessly read and educate ourselves about money, but if we fail to bring awareness to how we think about, feel about, and behave around money, we will continually find money to be the top stressor in our lives. 
This line really stands out to me, and for a few reasons. So key among them is that the financial uncertainty that so many are facing right now. I mean, there's so many people right now due to interest rates, inflation, you name it, it are, are feeling stress around money. And Canadians really are worried about their financial well-being. The Financial Planning Canada's latest financial stress index showed that more than one-third at 38% of Canadians cite money as their biggest concern. One in three at 35% say financial stress is leading to anxiety, depression, or mental health issues. And just last month, a study from Canada's Financial Wellness Lab revealed that nearly two-thirds of North American workers are more stressed about their finances today than they were a year ago. This survey also shows that workers here in Canada and the U.S. are experiencing the highest level of financial stress since the financial crisis of 2008. So what's your reaction when you hear some of these statistics? I feel a sense of concern with some optimism. So my concern lies in that we have so much work to help our financial systems to become fair and equitable for all. I have a concern that this stress is negative into impacting so many people's lives. My concern also lies in we are living in a more affluent time than many, many gen. Like if we look back generations, we have more money available to us, but yet our stress around money continues to increase. So that concern then helps me to understand that, you know, we have resources available in terms of podcasts, books, information on how to educate ourselves, what's happening. And that's what leads me to this understanding how we think, feel and behave with money. So my concern is focused on this, as you mentioned, the financial well-being. Um, money can paralyze us. It can cause us to, uh, as you talked about, one-third of the people reporting it's the highest stress in the latest study, two-thirds of Americans. So I have a lot of concern that maybe we're not um, providing the outcomes or the resources that the, the people need because the statistics speak to that. However, I do have a sense of optimism because I feel like the conversations around trying to help people understand and even ourselves understand what is financial well-being is increasing. More and more people are looking at our relationships with money. More and more people are looking at the psychology of money like we are today. So I think in order to change the cycle, we need more people doing what we're doing today is talking about a, perhaps a different perspective that might help us find more peace and ease with a relationship with money. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, right? Like you said, there's so many books, podcasts. I mean, we have this show that uh, is broadcast every week. So many online services. There's more access to financial information now than ever before. So there seems to be a bit of a disconnect. So what does all this tell us about the importance of understanding your per personal financial psychology? And do you feel that the lack of understanding when it comes to personal financial psychology is con a contributing factor to you know, the financial concerns, I guess, that we're seeing today. Yeah, I, I definitely think there is a link. Um, it's a complex one because with so many different competing priorities, so I can't say without a doubt, but I, I do think, especially when we look at the research in this field, is that there's a correlation. We can see a clear correlation. The impact of it, well, that's hard to exactly say, but we know there's something there, so I think it's worth diving in. And I also want to be clear, too, for my opinion, is Financial literacy also has been proven to help a lot, like your show and other books and et cetera. The part that I think that we're evolving to become aware of is that 
some of many of us, we had these psychological barriers that prevented us from actually implementing or even to some degree understanding how to step into that financial literacy knowledge. And that's where uh, understanding our, the psychological factors that influence our financial behaviors is crucial for helping us to absorb the financial literacy so that we can make sound financial decisions that help us then achieve our financial goals. And what I think is one of the most important things is to improve our overall well-being and financial well-being is part of that. So there, there's, I, like I think that. there's a number of missing pieces. Yeah, I agree. And one last question before we go to break, Sean. Do you see, so we've talked about, you know, all these different factors when it comes to money and the psychology of money. Do you see differences often, you know, from one gender to the next or one generation to the next? Yeah, we definitely do. Um, Especially when we go down to this micro level that we all experience money in a completely different way based on our own life stories, our own psychology. So absolutely gender and age play different. For example, studies have found that men and women tend to have uh, slightly different attitudes and behaviors when it comes to money. For example, women often are more risk adverse and tend to save more than men, while men are often more likely to invest in risky assets, and they tend to be more confident in their financial decision-making, and they on average fall to overconfident bias. Women tend to have longer perspectives when it comes to financial planning and are more likely to seek advice from professionals. Again, that goes towards that overconfidence bias where males tend to show like, I've got this attitude, where females are more open to getting that outside perspective. Age plays a large factor as well. Younger people tend to be more optimistic and have a greater willingness to take risk, while older individuals tend to be more cautious and conservative. And so without going into too many details, yes, absolutely. Gender, age, race, ethnicity, all of these different levels of our own individual lives have a hand at influencing how we think, feel, and behave with money. Yeah, which makes sense, right, when you think about what we were talking about earlier with the social and cultural influences. Well, Sean, you say that if you want to change your money behaviors, a good place to start is understanding your own money psychology. So we're going to hear from you on that when we come back. Please stay with us. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money here on VOCM. I'm your host, Nancy Sneddon. Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Today's focus is financial psychology, and my guest is an expert in this topic. So Sean Maslick is a certified financial planner, a certified financial behavior specialist, finance writer whose column A Rich Life can be found at Money Sense, and Sean is also the host of the Most Hated F-Word podcast. Sean, before the break, we were discussing how we can educate ourselves about money and finances. After all, there's so much access to information right now uh, whether it's books, podcasts, you know, online, shows like this one, there's all kinds of ways to, to educate yourself. But as you pointed out, until we are fully aware of how we think, feel, and behave when it comes to money, many are going to continue to struggle with improving their f- financial well-being. So that's what I like to focus on now. 
how our listeners can make meaningful changes to their money behaviors and why the best place for them to start is understanding their own financial psychology. Sean, you've written that to reduce stress around money, it's important to be aware of your instinctual behaviors and try to control them. And that it's time to evolve the thinking around money and embrace our own psychology of money so we can bring awareness as to why we think, feel, and behave the way we do with money. So what's your advice to listeners, Sean? How do they become more aware of their own instinctual behaviors? Yeah, thank you so much. You know, we can be the expert in our field. We can have the 10,000 of hours and have read every single book. But if we don't step into the knowledge, if we don't understand how to essentially become that knowledge, then we're doing what I did for so many years. And this is why I'm so passionate about this topic is just collecting information that I'm not actually becoming. And I think that's the differentiation when it comes to understanding our instinctual behaviors is how do I actually just surrender to this idea that, hey, I don't have this money thing figured out, nor does most people because it's complex in nature. And we talked about that. And I think a really good way to to just surrender to that notion is to realize that, yeah, how could I actually have this figured out? There's so many competing priorities. And then to really start to reflect on our decisions can be a good place to start. And what I mean by that is um, just tracking our thoughts. And a way we can do that is through an exercise by, um, by Dr. Brad Klontz called the money log. And because the money log can help us increase our awareness of these automatic reactive thought patterns with money. And since our money scripts, as we talked about, about before, often lie outside of our consciousness and awareness, it can help to track one's thinking when it comes to money decisions. Many of us are not aware of what happens before we engage in a financial behavior decision. It can take some guided discovery. That's why this money log exercise is a great way to practice to increase our awareness of these instinctual, reactive, and automatic thoughts. So just quickly, this money log has four steps. And the first one is to identify uh, an identifying trigger or an event situation. So it could be, I pulled my money out of the investment market or I spent my money on Amazon all night long. Some event that is memorable in your, your mind. Then it's to, number two is to identify the thoughts or the money scripts that followed the trigger and event event. So sitting with that idea of like, why did I go actually on Amazon? What was I feeling? Try to understand what emotion led for you to go and if, if you deem it as you bought too many things on Amazon. So number one is identifying that triggering event, then sitting with what were the thoughts and emotions that came up. Number three is to identify the impulse or action that followed the script. So in this case, maybe I felt overwhelmed at a long day of work. My kids were all over me and I was just totally stressed. So then I went on Amazon. I overbought. My thoughts were, well, if I buy all these neat gadgets, I'm going to feel better. And the... The, the impulse that followed for me was then guilt and shame that why am I doing this? I know I spent over. And number four is then to identify the actual behavior decision that resulted from the trigger. And so by doing this, what we call the, um, a psychology autopsy on our money scripts after a financial behavior, it's possible to start to identify patterns, triggers, and thoughts that lead to these behaviors. 
And these can help individuals put some time and space between our triggers, thoughts, and actions, which in time helps us become more conscious around our uh, money decisions. I think that's great. And, you know, money log is a great idea. We, we we talk to people often about, you know, when they're even looking at something as simple as a budget, which, you know, I say simple, but not simple for a lot of people. But logging, you, you know, how you're spending money is how you get to the right place when it comes to budgeting as well, right? So I, I see that that would be something that people could be very familiar with how to, to look at that process, right? And then go back and review it and, and see how you should make changes. But what sorts of barriers do you think are there um, that prevent people from moving forward and have them continue to repeat the same behaviors? Like, how can they affect change? You know, it's a time of year where, you know, many people are setting New Year's resolutions. And we know that many New Year's resolutions have to do with financial health. But we also know that many New Year's resolutions are sort of forgotten or uh, go to the wayside by, say, mid-February, right? So how do we make sure that people are actually affecting change with this stuff? Yeah, and that's a great question because in the end, we don't want to just talk about this. We want to, to your point, affect change. So I think, as I mentioned earlier, it's surrendering to this idea that I, my financial life, my financial decisions is an accumulation of my past story, my past life. And even that realization kind of gives people permission to say, I don't have it figured out, but I'm aspiring to understand how I can remove, when you talk about barriers, the, one of the largest ones is the emotional barriers that keep me stuck. So these are the psychological barriers that we've been talking about that are tied to our money decision. So for example, for myself, I tied money to power and control. I was a shy kid when I grew up, and unconsciously to me, as I started working and gaining money, people would be like, oh, Sean, how did you get that job? Good job. And they're giving me praise and recognition for increasing my my wage, and et cetera. I was not aware that, that this was happening, so I was spending e- evenings on emails while my kids played on the ground. I was working extra hours because I was telling myself this story that I have to save so that I can retire so I can spend time with my kids. Meanwhile, my kids were right there and I could have just got off the computers and played with them. And so I acknowledge that we have to work and save and for retirement, but the emotional barrier that I had was that I was driven by fear to continue to work at all costs. So when I started to understand and make sense that, hey, look at this, I was attaching too much control and power to money, that it was blinding me and distracting me from life unfolding in front of me. So that's just an example of how when we start to unpack our money story, we can start to remove these emotional barriers, address the cognitive biases that we talked about, recognize the cultural influences, the societal influences that impact our way of thinking so that we can start to make meaningful and sustainable financial change. And I think that's great. And, you know, it really is all about changing your behavior when it comes to making financial decisions. And you say a really good starting point is ask yourself four questions. And those four questions are, what does money mean to you? How do you make decisions about money? What are your beliefs about money? And how do you feel about money? And I think it's an important distinction, Sean, right? In what does money mean to you versus how do you feel about money? Because some people may think of those as as similar, but they are quite different. 
Yeah, you know, for me, those two uh, provided a lot of insight because at, at first, what does money mean to me was providing for my family, security, all of the, I'll call it surface level thoughts that didn't take any, uh, it didn't take me to dive into how money made me feel. And as I started to dive into how money made me feel, I recognized that, wow, I feel fear. I feel scarcity. And then my recognition or what I realized money meant to me started to change. So I think you're absolutely right is what does money mean to you is completely different than uh, how does money make you feel. But yet they're really intertwined to each other when you really start to dig into that. What does money feel to me? And, you know, for me personally, I, in university, I read the book Emotional Intelligence, and I thought I knew what emotions were until I really was challenged with identifying the emotions that I attached to money. I realized that I couldn't even name my emotions. My emotional literacy was low, and I often find that's for many of us. So I think these four questions really help us to dive into the beginning journey of understanding our own financial psychology, our own money story, so that we can identify the thoughts, feelings, and beliefs we have around money so we could start to, what I call, take the pen back to write our own money story, which goes to the point that we're trying to make here is how do we facilitate financial change? I love that. Take the pen back. Well, Sean has much more great advice to help move you forward financially when your money returns. Please stay with us. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money. I'm your host, Nancy Snedden, licensed insolvency trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. My guest today is Sean Maslick. He's a certified financial planner, certified financial behavior specialist, finance writer, and host of the podcast, Most Hated F Word. We've been talking about financial psychology, which is the scientific research that studies why people do the things they do with their money. And Sean, you've given us so much to think about today and had so much great advice. And if there was ever a time for people to become more aware of their own money psychology, it really is now. I mean, we hear so many stories in the media about everything that's happening in the economy, interest rates and inflation and, you know, talks of a recession looming. So it really is a good time for people to, to sit back and really have a good understanding about their own money psychology. And as we mentioned, many Canadians, including many here in Newfoundland and Labrador, are financially stressed right now. So let's talk about the benefits of understanding your own money psychology, especially amid all this economic uncertainty that we're talking about, and how will it really help people when it comes to making decisions and managing their finances? Yeah, to answer that question, I'm... <laughs> I'm going to quote myself. <laughs> it's not actually <laughs> myself, but me and a partner, we, we collaborated after I really went through the journey of understanding my own money story, my own psychology of money, and wrote a full-length money album, like a music album. And one of the lines is that really spoke to my story is that I used to think money was the boat of life, but now I realize it's the wind in the sails. And why I think that's fitting for your your the question is in times of turbulent times could be turbulent water when we're sailing when we look at money as the boat of life the end all be it all when inflation happens when there is a financial emergency when we're not doing so well financially when we see that or when we feel money's the boat then we look at ourselves 
as in a bad way when these turbulent times come and they continue they will continue to come like they are right now so understanding our own money story our money scripts help us to see that money is the wind in the sails we need it it makes life easier but it's not us there's actually a separation between who we are like sean is not the amount of money he has in his bank account but i recognize that when i'm sailing if the wind isn't blowing that's going to impact me but it's not shaming me like i used to feel around money so i it comes down to this idea that we've been talking about, and I think it's important to repeat this, is to understand why we think, feel, and the way we do with money. To be curious, to be very compassionate as well as we start to uncover these really dark, I say dark because we haven't looked at them, but the dark parts of ourselves that have attached this emotion to money, that emotion to money, to understand why we did that. I think it really helps us to start moving towards that separation between us and our money where to again to quote ourselves where money is no longer the boat of life just the wind in the sail and just to add i'll be quick here there's an exercise so there's two here now we talked about the money log another one's called the money egg that really helps us unpack our historical relationship that was largely unconscious to help us unpack why we tie these um emotions to money so the money egg is quite simple. You draw a big oval egg on your sheet of paper, and then you do this four times. So you think back to the earliest time in your money or in your life that you can remember when you had a painful, pleasurable, or otherwise notable experience around money. Then you draw a picture and write an emotion that you feel. So you do that four times. And as you do the four, the first one's going to be the furthest memory that you have, and the fourth is going to if it works this way, the most recent one. But then you've got this oval egg with four or five. You can do six. It doesn't matter. But you've got all these different events in your life that were, as I said, painful, pleasurable, or otherwise notable. And then you zoom out and just look at this egg and say, the moral of the story right now after looking at this egg of money is, and just journal on it. And so that is a good cueing exercise that starts to allow us to uncover our past relationship with money. That's great. I love that. And I love giving people like, you know, sort of easy tools and easy exercises that anyone can do, right? No matter um, where you are in, in life, those are easy things for you to sort of focus on to, to work towards. I think that's great. So Sean, are there behavioral factors, I guess, that we should be paying more attention to, like paying closer attention to that would impact our financial lives more so than others? I think it's identifying what we talked about earlier, those automatic reactive instinctual reactions we have to money because they're happening so often, so many different points in our lives because money is such a large part of our lives is if we could start to notice those a little and noticing them also takes, as I talked about earlier, curiosity, compassion, but also courage because looking into our reactions with money can be quite revealing on the deeper levels of who we are. And like, I'll use myself as an example. It was really um, difficult at times for me to just surrender to the idea that, whoa, my belief around money and how controlling it was, wasn't actually healthy. And I mean, I, I feel bad for my wife being married to a financial planner because I remember saying to her that, oh no, I've got this figured out. I'm the financial planner. Let me do this. I know how to do all the spreadsheets. While from a technical perspective, that's true, 
I was unaware, blinded to the emotional reactive decisions or events that were happening below the surface that was really saying to me, don't let her handle the money. Then Miss, I call my inner money critic, sorry, Mr. Shy. Mr. Shy won't have control. You won't have control. You need control. Control makes you feel safe. This is all happening below the surface. And when I started noticing that, I needed a lot of compassion to just sit with that. And, and now, for example, I aspire, while I don't always get this right, I aspire to have more equitable and transparent relationship with money decisions with my wife than me being right. Because I know I've got the CFP. I know I can be technically right. But that doesn't get me to financial well-being with my wife. So I guess that's where I think the behavioral factors should start is identifying why we're behaving, not looking at the behavior and trying to change the behavior because that's relying on willpower and willpower is really difficult. I think it's important for us to start identifying what was the emotional response that caused us to behave that way. And when we can start to put time and space between the triggering event and the actual, uh, like our actual reaction, then I think we can make meaningful and sustainable financial behavior change. I think that's great. I love that example. You know, it's easy enough that you have the technical expertise, but that doesn't necessarily get you to the right place, right? There's more that goes into that. Asan, you've had a lot of great information, a lot of great advice for our listeners today, but we do have some time now for some final thoughts. So if you could leave our listeners with a final thought today, what would it be? You know, I have this question that I ask myself as I've been uncovering my own money story is to ponder the idea of what is wealth? Is it money? Is it gold? Or is it no vault or is it a vault no treasure can hold? And I say that because I feel like there's a peaceful existence that happens when we start to uncover our relationship with money, when we start to uncover our money story that at least for my sake removed me from my money. And as I talked about earlier about money being the boat of life, when my, when I looked at money as the boat of my life, I when the markets went down, when you know, I, I didn't make as much, I, I took that on as me. So I guess that's, that's the idea is what is money to us? So I guess in ending, understanding the psychology of money can be a large, large component for us achieving our financial goals and improving our overall, be, our overall well-being. And I think that's the important part that at times is missed is we focus so much on the money in the bank. While that's important, For me, I think living a good life is the goal. And if I'm distracted my entire life trying to build up that bank account, then I don't want to miss or let my life go by me. So for me, I orientate myself on what is a good life? How can I use money as a tool? And I know we talk about that often, but for me at least, I wasn't actually doing it. I was talking about it, but I wasn't actually, my actions didn't lie. I was incongruent. So... In in summary, I think it's just the idea that we all have these unconscious money stories that is influenced by our own psychology money, our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors around money, and they have a significant impact on our financial decisions and our financial well-being. So just understanding that there are psychological factors that influence our financial behaviors, even that, starting at that level, just understanding that psychological factors influence our behaviors can equipped us to make better sound financial decisions and take us on the path and the journey of uncovering our own money story. 
That's great, Sean. And, you know, financial well-being is what it's all about, right? That's what I tell people all the time is that, you know, no matter what stage of life you're in or, or what sort of money things you're dealing with, whether it's, you know, an income situation, a debt situation, or just trying to get a handle on your budget or, or retirement planning, like whatever situation you're dealing with, it's thinking about your financial well-being and making sure that you have strong financial health is what's most important. So I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about when it comes to really digging deep on why things are the way they are rather than just looking at uh, the technical aspects uh, about money or you know the sort of professional advice around the dollars and and cents piece so thanks so much for joining me today if listeners wanted to connect with you or you know maybe read some of your articles or listen to your podcast what's the best way for them to do that yeah and, and thank you for having me today really appreciate it nancy the best way would be to go to my website. It's www.themosthatedefford.com. And on there, you'll find a contact and the links to my latest uh, podcast. My podcast really dives into everything we've been talking about. So I interview experts from the academia world, people who've written books on the relationships with money. And so really, how do we bring peace and ease to our relationship with money? So my website would be a great place to find my latest podcast episodes that come out once a week. And then as you mentioned, Money Sense, the column A Rich Life is a written form of what we're talking about here today. So you can find me in those two locations. That's great. Thanks so much. And to our listeners out there, if you have a comment or question or topic maybe that you'd like me to discuss here on Your Money, you can email me at yourmoney@bdo.ca or give me a call at 800-563-8337. Until next time, I'm Nancy Snedden. Stay safe and be well, everyone. If you have a question or comment, send an email to yourmoney@bdo.ca. This has been Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO, Licensed Insolvency Trustees on your VOCM.